Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for all of your children that have come here today to worship you and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the the seed of your word which you intend to plant into these hearts that are sensitive to you today, Lord. I thank you that you help them to protect the seed of this word and allow it to take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I started a message last week, and as is always the case, almost, I, I didn't really get to the end of it. So I learned uh, from uh, my friend Andrew, who y'all are all going to see this week, I guess, or next week, when is it? Next week. <laughs> yeah, we never finish, we just stop and start again, you know. You can't, you can't just teach uh, the whole counsel of God in a week, and so it's all connected, so you just stop and start again, amen? <laughs> we were talking about We've been talking about uh, reigning in life. We've been talking about our prayer life. We've been talking about sin, holiness, knowing God. A lot of things that we tend to delve into places where a lot of pastors try to steer clear of. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying that because... I don't know why they do that because I'm pretty sure I hear God and... Uh, I know that's what he tells me to do. And uh, and then when I do hear those that I consider to be true apostles and uh, of the faith, which is a very real thing, still a very live ministry, and they always ministering the same things. And that's very encouraging to a, a little minister like me. <laughs> I mean, little in the sense that God has given me a a small flock to oversee in the overall scheme of things, but that's not what's important. Important is that we get the truth out, that we grow together, and we make a mark. Amen? I believe we are going to make a mark. The purpose of your life is really just to seek God to know God, to renew your mind according to His Word in agreement with Him. Agree with God. Rest in the in faith of Jesus' finished work on the cross and to prosper in every way in peace, in love, in joy, even financially. You hear the word prosper, people go, oh, that's a prosperity message. No, anyway, I, there's, there's not another message from God except a prosperity message. The gospel means good news. Good news don't come broke, amen. But it's so much more than that. That's just one of the small facets of it. Amen. But you're blessed to be a blessing, and you can't to be a blessing if you're uh, worried about keeping your lights on. Amen. Romans fourteen seventeen says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's true purpose. And we find it, guess where? Like that pot of gold they proclaim is at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> We find our true purpose and peace and love at the end of ourselves. Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans 12. I won't ask you to turn to all the scriptures I mentioned because I go too fast sometimes. And it's easier just to write them down and go back and listen and do it. Your Bible study if you want to do it or whatever. Because I want you to hear what we're talking about. But this is something... A passage of scripture that I talk about all the time. I think about it every day and it's a foundational in my life and in the life of believers who have grown into their 
Christian life and are being successful at it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul had just finished expounding on all the wonderful things that, that God has done through Jesus and through his resurrected life. And it says, therefore, he starts out, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren. And the King James says, I beseech you. In other words, he's really, it's almost like I'm begging you. Based on everything God has done for you, and for all of us, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Bible, uh, King James says your reasonable service. It's only reasonable that God would ask this of you, considering what he's done. And that has to make sense to those who know what he's done and really have taken it to heart because that's what you've based your entire eternal life on. And eternity is a long time. So if you've never really considered what was done on your behalf, then I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for you. <laughs> because that's the basis of everything that we've placed, staked everything on, you see, our future. Then it tells you in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's the soulish realm. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And those, I would suggest to you, are, are stages of development in the Christian life. But it says here, a lot of people say, Well, you can never really know... God is just too too deep for us to understand. That's not what this is saying. It says, renew your mind according to the word of God, and you will be able to understand or discern what the will of God is. Ephesians 5.10, I call it the five and dime. It, just, it says, find out what pleases God. If he's telling us to find out what pleases God, it means it's, it's attainable. Amen. So there will come a time, based on this, when people start seeking their real purpose in life and the meaning of life and all these deep things that the Greeks of this world, what I mean by that is when I'm saying it in the Bible terminology, those, those great scholars of this world and who try to reason God and try to understand the meaning of life and all that, and they try to put it in a test tube to understand it. No. There's a time in this life when God will have you to lay down your life, your plans, your will, your way, only to take it up again and become a living sacrifice and live unto Him. The problem with living sacrifices is that they like to keep crawling down off the altar, you see. When you find that you've crawled down, just crawl back up there. First <laughs> Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And it is. It doesn't mean that we're just supposed to be complacent. And say, oh God, you've done enough. I'll just, I'll just sit here in my humble settings and, and live at peace with all men not cause any waves. That is total misinterpretation of the Bible. I say if you're not living on the edge, you take it up too much space. You should be believing for greater things way beyond your own personal means because then it has to be God. Those are the type of situations He likes to show off in, as a matter of fact. The kingdom of God is worth... It's worth, it's a, you know, I've been in sales most of my life, and I would say it's the greatest product there is. So talk it up. <laughs> May not come out right, but you get my point. But you just seek God and then let the rest of His plan for you play out. Don't force it, you see. You don't have to force it. Once God becomes the center of your life, 
then you don't have to demand anything of God and you really shouldn't demand things of Him before it's time. Everything has a time and a purpose and a season in God. And He sees a lot farther than we do. You know? He knows you better than you do. (laughs) So now, we should desire in our hearts to know Him better. Amen. So, when we were like talking about our prayer life last week, our, our prayer life is really just found in worship. In worshiping God and communion with God. You know, Christians' prayer lives generally consist of almost in totality just a, a list of requests and complaints. And you know, it just shouldn't be that way. Bible says God knows what you need before you even ask Him. So why, why even ask Him? Because then you know who to thank when He does it. But God is good. He loves you. He's a good Father. And He's going to take care of you. Especially if you put Him at the center of your life. And you don't have to... You can just cast all the worry and concern off your back. It doesn't mean you won't do anything. He says... I'll bless everything you put your hands to. He wants you to work. He wants you to be busy. He wants you to be doing things for, for you. For, to, you know, so you don't work, you don't eat. So, I mean, it's not that. It's just that now you're working from a position of rest. You have peace. People often tell me, I'm just so tired. I, 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 I say that sometimes and I have to repent. I try not to say it out loud. But I just feel so tired sometimes. But you know, I realize that probably 90% of those times, it's, it's mental and not physical so much. With God, you know, we don't have to carry that, that burden. So your prayer life is just found in worshiping God, communing with God, just, just loving Him and being loved by Him. You know, the literal translation from the Bible for prayer is just to worship or to kiss the face. See that? It's not forced fellowship. And, and so, I'm not against... Yeah, I said last week about, I don't go into my prayer closet. You know, I know some people go into a literal closet. Or, and I, I love that movie, War Room, where she had that closet. There's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not speaking against those things. I'm trying to get you to understand that if you're going in there thinking that it's just like going to church, check. Spent two hours in my prayer room, check. No, that's wrong. You know, God doesn't enjoy that any more than you do. If you're doing it, if it's forced like that. That's my point. So, you know, a good example that, that you can consider to, to understand this is Adam and Eve before the fall. Remember it said that they just, they walked with God in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. They just, they didn't, they didn't go to Him and, oh, Dear Holy God, please provide for us for another day. Please, God, help us. No, there was no need. There was no, there was nothing wrong. (laughs) But still he was there with them every day. Why? Because he created us for himself to be his family. What if you had a child that just came and begged you every day, Oh, please give me something to eat. Man, you'd feel like a terrible parent. Please let me sleep in my bed tonight. What? You'd say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Where did you get this thinking? I love you. You know. (laughs) Well, God loves us more than that. He's good. Matthew seven eleven says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And I think it's in Mark where he used that same phrase and he says instead of good gifts, he substituted with the Holy Spirit, which is a lot to be said right there. 
Everything good that we know in this life is found in the Holy Spirit. Psalm 37, 4 just says simply, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Well, people see that and say, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Well, what about the first part? There's, it's always a relationship. If you look at the scriptures, it's always like your part, his part. Delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, he's expecting that you're not out there living for the world, living for the devil, and expecting him to give you all of those things because those are the desires of your heart. No. When you turn to him and make him the center of your life, then your desires and his are going to match up, you see. So he's going to give you the desires of his heart and yours simultaneously. That's a good thing. So just spend time with the Lord. He's, he's everywhere. He's humble. He's kind. And he loves to reveal himself in the little things, in that, that still small voice, as it were. You know, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, just think about it. If you were him. If you were Jesus, and they had treated you the way they had, and you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and creator of everyone that had spit on you and pulled out your beard and beat you and killed you, which he forgave them all right there from the cross, amen. But, you know, I, if I was him, I'd have been going around saying, hey, remember me? <laughs> But you know, and he, 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 he appeared to hundreds of people, hundreds of people, over 500 people at one time, and then to the disciples and other believers. But you know, he never appeared for those whole 40 days he walked the earth after he was resurrected. He never appeared to a single person who didn't believe in him before he was crucified. That's just the way he is. God loves faith. So, I want to talk a little bit about that. You know, we just, we don't need to beg God, is my point on prayer and all that. We just need to fellowship with Him and then learn to just believe that He is good and just learn how to appropriate what has already been provided and promised by grace. Amen? I recently heard on the radio... I was working one day, as uh, you may remember this, uh, a few weeks ago now, I think. But I was in the middle of the day, I was driving down the highway. I think I was just getting on 290. And I heard there was a little boy missing, a three-year-old boy in Grimes County. You remember that? His parents were outside. He wandered off, and or they didn't know what happened to him, actually. He just was gone. Three-year-old boy in Plantersville, Texas. That's in Grimes County. And I heard it on the radio, and I prayed right then that he would be found, that he would be unharmed. And I prayed specifically some things over that child just driving. And I'm sure lots of people did that, because that's what Christians do when they hear something like that. And then, the next Sunday, I was leaving church here. I was the last one here. I'd just been sitting out in the parking lot and I turned to had the KSBJ on or whatever and I was driving home and just a block or two away I heard that they had found the child and that he was unharmed and he was just dirty and hungry or thirsty or whatever but he was totally unharmed. And this is after three days being out in the woods and all that stuff. Can you imagine a three year old child? What are the chances you think if they were taking bets in Vegas, which I'm not encouraging anyone to do, what do you think the odds were of a three-year-old child being safe and sound, unscathed in any way? <laughs> well, and you know, I didn't take any credit for that, but I was glad, and I just, you know, I just began just praising God. I just stopped, and I just began to just love on the Lord. And just thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because I knew he, he had that play just to tell me at that time. Not that I was the one that saved the boy, but I was part of it. The protection that it was around him. And, and I felt like the Lord was telling me, thank you, you know. And 
Yeah, we did it. You know, the devil didn't get his way. And I just loved on him and thanked him for being such a good God because I see what a miracle that was. Even if others just, oh, good, they found him, you know, and then they try to reason it away and explain it. And, oh, well, just lucky or whatever. You know, it's not love. <laughs> it was blessed. It was God. So I want to talk to you a little bit about living a life of faith. And I just want to, I want to talk about a unique aspect of a life of faith. And I, I think this will bless you. And I hope I'm doing well on time. I, Because I, uh, I really have been excited about this message. The Lord dropped a word into my spirit on, you know, you know, like the first of the week. And I just got so giddy. Because sometimes I don't get that until, and I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning last night just sitting with the Lord. But, so I'm kind of tired today, but now I'm refreshed. And, but I knew all week what, just the one thing that he was going to say. And that's all I need is just a word. And then I could, I could put a lot of words with it. That's all I say. It's not about trying to figure out what to say. It's about trying to, what to leave out. Get it short enough to, so y'all can endure it. But you know, throughout the ages, there's been what we've referred to as different dispensations of time. Dispensation is just some uh, the way that God has dealt with mankind down through the history of the world. This whole 6,000 years. Amen. <laughs> but one thing has always remained the same. The requirement to hear and obey God's voice. Think about that. Just to simplify it, because there's a lot of different uh, dispensations that people will go into in theological settings. I'll just put it into three. So first it was the, the patriarchs. Remember, there was a certain way that God would deal with individuals and their families. Like Noah... Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You know what I'm saying? This is before the law. I mean, there was people think of the law and then now, and it's, that's the law was just 1,500 years, and it wasn't for us. <laughs> but anyway, so there was the patriarchs in which he dealt with those individuals and their families. Then the law came. And, and this was the covenant that he had with the Israelites, and he set them apart as God's chosen people, as you remember. And it was usually typified by uh, a temple and the priesthood. Okay, And then the gospel, which is this church age of grace and truth in which we now live, and we will live. There's not going to be another dispensation of time. This, this started on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father, and it will go until he returns. Amen. And now, and so, and, and this, is, this is a dispensation that requires an individual response from every person in the world. Every person. What we do with Christ has everything to do with our eternal destiny. Amen. Exodus 15.26, just going to give you a couple of examples. This is when the, the Israelites first came out. They went across the, the, the Red Sea. He parted the waters. He had done all the ten miracles and, and the, the plagues and all the wonderful things that they saw God do. And then they still went a little ways out into the desert and they started complaining again because there was nothing, no water to drink. And... Uh, Anyway, without, without going over there, because I'll spend too much time, it's in Exodus 15 and in 26, around that area, you can see it's called the Bitter Waters of, of Marah. And they got there, and the, they, they found some water, but it, but it wasn't drinkable. It was bitter. And they started complaining, making all these accusations against God. And it, God showed Moses, Moses prayed for them, and he showed Moses a certain type of a tree or... or a stick or whatever, symbolic of the cross. Amen. Everything's in type and shadow in the Old Testament. He threw it in the water and it made the water sweet. It made the water drinkable. Okay? But, 
In that passage of scripture, and you can study it out, I think I've already ministered on it at some point in the last year or two. It says, if, God says, if thou will diligently hearken to my voice, then no sickness or diseases will come upon you. This is where God, God all throughout the, in stages throughout the Old Testament, began to reveal himself by different names. And every name that he gave himself, that's what he did. That was something else that they could count on from this God. And this is where he says, I am Jehovah Rapha, Rapha, the God who heals you. It literally in Hebrew means your doctor. Amen. Amen. And he says, if... But, but, but the part that people don't see is that if you will, if you will diligently hearken to my voice, then no sickness or diseases will come upon you. I will be Jehovah Rapha, your healer, your doctor, promising complete and continual health and wholeness. Amen. In Exodus 19, just uh, four chapters later, they get to Mount Sinai and the first six verses of that you'll see it again he says if if you will obey my voice i will make you a kingdom of priests a holy nation talking to the israelites but there it is again if you will obey my voice in deuteronomy chapter 28 he's talking to just before they entered into the promised land. Okay, now they've done their 40 years. Around and around the mountain they go. Like we do sometimes. Help us, Lord. But he tells them in the first couple of verses of Deuteronomy 28. Before they enter into the promised land. If you will listen I to my voice, I will bless you. And, he, and in Deuteronomy 28, it's a whole long list of blessings. All the blessings that I, that I will put... I will bless you with if you listen to my voice. And then he says, if you don't listen to my voice, and then he lists a whole bunch of curses, doesn't he? And we thank God that Jesus bore the curse for us on the tree. And now we don't, and some of that stuff will still try to come on us, won't it? But we don't have to allow it, you see. But we need faith. We have to trust in this. We have to believe this. We have to understand and know and Learn how to appropriate the things that Jesus has provided through grace, through the atonement. Because if without really believing it, then sometimes we'll let the devil come in and talk us into some of this stuff. You know? And this is not a condemning message. I mean, I know there are people sitting here that have gone through trials. And, you know, I had open heart surgery. I know that wasn't God's best. Do I feel condemned about that? Does he love me less? Does he look a little down on me because I'm not one of that great a faith because I couldn't get it supernaturally, which was his best? No. But if it's partly my fault, then that's good news to me because there's something I can do about it. (laughs) And listen, when it comes to this sort of faith, I'm not there yet. And it's not a contest. So I'm, 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 I'm not where this guy is, but I'm past this guy. You know, <laughs> no, no. It's just between me and God, and I, you know, I haven't gotten there yet. But I've left the dock. I'm not moored to the dock, and now I'm out there moving. And he can, he can adjust the course. As long as I'm tied to the dock, he can turn the wheel all day long, and that ship's going to do nothing. If I just get moving in the direction I believe he's taking me, he can make the course corrections as I go. Amen. And that's what I count on him to do. And he's faithful to do it. Amen. And then we get to Jesus in the new covenant. He's introduced to us in the flesh. God in the flesh. And he is the good shepherd, isn't he? Let's look at John chapter 10 for a moment. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. We love John 10 because I go to John 10, 10 every week. But there's a lot of other th- stuff in that chapter and it's good. John 10, um, Jesus speaking here. And he, he starts, uh, let's say, the, the third third verse. To him, oh, let's go back. Truly, I'll just start the first verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who... 
does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. The man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Leads them out. Leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, before them, not driving them. He's leading them. Amen. And the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, or this parable, Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. He explains it all later. But Jesus is the good shepherd. The, what I take from this, if we just want to wrap our minds around these things, is that the sheep, the disciples, the true disciples, the mark of a true disciple of Jesus, not just, a, not just someone who moved to town, they had 2.5 children, and they traded in their lease every couple of years, and they found someone to sponsor them on the right committees at the rodeo and in the country club and then oh yeah they had to find their best church around where does all the other successful people go listen I don't care what, what environment you're in or what setting I'm not criticizing but I'm just saying because God will save you in spite of your situation and circumstances if you really want him so I don't know which ones belong to God and which ones don't I like to pick on people because if it makes them think and wonder then good and they have to go to him and find out. Amen. <laughs> Other than that, I want to encourage you to keep everybody lifted up. But the fact is, the mark of true disciples, based on the word of God and Jesus' own words, is that they do hear. And then he knows them. And then they follow him. <laughs> they hear him. He knows them. They follow him. It can be any from any group of people. It can be from any denomination. It can be from any race, any ethnicity. In the whole world. Jesus is for everybody. And remember, like I said, you don't especially in Bible days, you don't you didn't don't drive the sheep. You you lead them. Shepherds lead and, and the sheep follow, usually by the sound of their voice. Amen. You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> a lot of people read the Bible. You think I'm against that? No, of course not. But a lot of people read the Bible, but they don't hear God. I know people that I love very much that know this Bible better than me. And they do not know God. They are fighting against God. But it's essential that we be able to hear God. Or what? If the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow him based on that voice. And if we can't hear God, then what does that mean? We can't follow him. Or we won't follow him. Does this make sense? There's a scripture in Jeremiah, in the seventh chapter. Uh, yep, and the 23rd verse. Should have underlined here. Yes, I do. It says this. But this I command, but this command I give them. Obey my voice, and I will be your God. You shall be my people, 
and walk in all the way that I command you, and it will be well with you. This was to the Israelites through the prophet Jeremiah from God. And then verse 24 says, But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. So, plenty, pretty plain picture there. And then some devastation came upon them again. But the point was, even back then, this was under the law. Mm-hmm. Do this, do that. All these, the Ten Commandments, chisels and stone, plus the 600 other laws or whatever it was. Do good, get good, do bad, get beat, basically. A legalistic mentality. But even then, even in the Old Covenant, it really wasn't about that. It wasn't about offerings. It, it was about listening, obeying the voice of God. But like it said in verses 24 through 26, they, they, they didn't listen. They rebelled. A few things about God's hearing God's voice. First, it's very personal. It's a personal thing. It, we know it's Him. We know it's Him. Another, we will not follow. You see, that's the mark of, uh, of one of His sheep. So we know it's Him when He talks to us. A lot of people are oftentimes in their hearts, they're opening up to the wrong voices. Yeah. And they don't have to. They shouldn't. This world is so noisy that we don't take the time that it's necessary to cultivate the hearing of God's voice. It's an intangible thing, though. You can't see it. You can't feel it. And if you're looking for an audible voice, which I have had the privilege of hearing, but... It's generally not an audible voice that we will get from God. It has to be heard in our hearts. And it's always in the present. Now, I'm getting somewhere, starting to get there. It's the present tense. It's always now. You know? You don't hear God talking in the for the past. You don't hear God talking... He's talking, if you're hearing him, and you know it's his voice, he's talking now. Okay, it's a now word. 1 Kings chapter 19, you remember the prophet Elisha, I just want to, well, maybe. 1 Kings chapter 9, the prophet Elisha had done lots of great things. He was a great prophet of God. He had just... Risen the, from dead, the, women, the widow of Zarephath's uh, son. He he did lots of great works. He 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 caused the, he he caused fire to come down from heaven, and he and it and it consumed all of the offerings, and he and he humiliated and destroyed all the prophets of Baal, and he had done wonderful things. And then he ran for his life from a woman named Jezebel. <laughs> She was wicked, though. and But he just sat down and he, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, he just said, that's enough, Lord. I'm no better than my fathers were. Take me home. Just kill me now. Well, he was never any better than his fathers were, for starters. <laughs> he, he must have started reading his own press, too, you see. And then when he got threatened and had to run for his life, he's like, golly, I thought I was this big prophet, God. How did you let me get into this bad situation? <laughs> you know, just, take, just kill me now. Remind you of anyone else? Jonah? Because <laughs> he sat down under a broom tree as well. But anyway, he 
he was all tuckered out. God was so kind to him. He caused the ravens to bring him food and and sustain him and, and take care of him, right? And um, and anyway, I I just want to skip over a lot of this. But the point is, he finally was told by God to go to Mount Horeb. That's Mount Sinai. That's where they had first received the covenant of the law from God. And he went there. And I'll start in verse 9. It says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He's, and he told him to go there. So when God asks you something, <laughs> he already knows. He said, I've been... He's wanting him to say it, okay? He wanting I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces in rocks, uh, the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. There's a good sign of worship, you know, and humility. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This still small voice. You know, he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in the still small voice. And he came and he dealt with Elijah. And and he told him his story and so forth and so on. But God gave him some instructions. Just to keep this brief. He gave him some instructions and basically encouraged him, you know? And so that's that's a that's a good point to me because I see this and I and I and I and you can think of times when you get down in your life and you just feel empty of direction and purpose and strength. Because that'll sap your strength from your mind and your, just your will to just go. You just want to sit down under a broom tree and say, Lord, take me home. You don't have to admit it. But <clears throat> but from this, that man, that great prophet of God who had just come to the end and just wanted to go on home. Now he went and he heard God, not in a loud things, not in the big noise of this world, but he had to get quiet. And then in the gentle whisper, he hears God and he comes and visits with him. And it gave him strength and new direction and purpose for his life, you see. Yeah. Just from hearing God's voice. That's what it'll do for you. Jeremiah, I taught on this recently, so I'm not going to go there. But remember Jeremiah in the 18th chapter? Um... And the, by the first six verses or whatever, God, God appeared to um, or, or spoke to Jeremiah. And he told him, go to the potter's house. I'm going to show you something. And so he went down to the potter's house and he watched the potter from a distance. And he watched him mess up a, a vase he was working on. You know, and he had to start over and make something else out of it. Make it better, right? Make it new. And God spoke to him and said, this is what I'm doing, you know. And in other words, he gave him some instructions. But see, he said, go to the potter's house. First of all, he had to be obedient to go and do what God had said and to listen to what God had told him to do and be obedient. But he did, thankfully. He wasn't, he wasn't like the reluctant young man that he was when he was called to the ministry. <laughs> he decided... Just like Moses had after being 40 years on the backside of the desert. If God says it this time, I'm going to do it. Even if grabbing that snake by the tail means it kills me, I'm going to do it God's way. That's wise. We've all had to come to that point. If we haven't been there yet, you will. You better be before you, before you go on. Agree with God. No matter what. 
With Jeremiah, though, he was a prophet to the nations. He still had a lot to say to the nations. But before he had anything that he could offer to, to anyone else, before he had any words to give to other people, he had to get word from God himself. You see? You have to get a message from God before you can have a proper message to give to God's people. Amen. Are you starting to see the benefit of the wax on, wax off around here? See, I didn't even have to go to those chapters. I can just mention them to you. And you remember, oh yeah, I remember when you taught that. Yeah. <laughs> now you can take points from it and learn the things we've gone over and over before. <laughs> But one of the things that spirit-filled evangelical ministers find kind of sad about seminaries, because you hear the jokes about seminary, oh, I made seminary, you know, things like that. It's not that we hate anybody. It's not that those jokes are meant to hurt or harm. It's supposed to be a wake-up call. Amen. <laughs> but the thing about these schools is that they spend a whole lot of time teaching these young people, or however old they are when they go, but these, these students, how to speak. And how to take this Bible and put three points together and dish it out. How to speak, but very little on how to hear God. Yeah, and that's, that's the problem. But people, God's people, need to hear from someone who hears from God. You say, well, if, but if they're in the Word, aren't they hearing from God? Not necessarily. Which brings to my, my point, my final point, maybe. <laughs> cultivating cultivating the practice of hearing God's voice produces faith. Mm-hmm. Cultivating the practice of hearing God's voice produces faith. We know that without faith it's impossible to please God, right? So, cultivating the practice of hearing God's voice produces real faith. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, let me read that to you in a way that you may have never considered before because it's a very familiar scripture. You can all finish it with me when I read it, right? It's one of those that we all know. Like John 3.16. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But here's what it really says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema. The word of Christ. Christos. He said the same difference. It is to us. But to the world, it may not be. Make sense? So, but the actual translation is that. See, in the Greek, there are two words for word. The first one is logos. L-O-G-O-S. That's what this is. Words on a page. But when it comes to God and to the Bible, the logos is is everything. I'm not trying to minimize or undermine it. I'm trying to tell you it's too great for you to comprehend all at once. You're not God. We're not God. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but the logos of God is the mind, the counsel, the reason, the purpose of God. All encompassed. Mm -hmm. 
Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens. So it is eternal, it's unchanging, it is complete. This word is what holds everything together that we know and see. Amen. And then the other word for word in the Greek is rhema. That is literally means a spoken word. Amen. In Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus was tempted of the devil, when he came after being in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry and tired and thirsty and all that good stuff. The devil comes when we're at our weakest. Amen. He's the accuser of the brethren. He tried that on me this week at a low point. A lull in my week, business-wise and ministry-wise and all this stuff. And and just start thinking and thinking and wondering. And before you even know it, you're getting into a line of kind of a lull. And then the enemy comes and he starts accusing you and criticizing you. And you see? But when he came to Jesus in John 4, 4, I mean in uh, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered Satan's attempts at him by saying, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, every rhema, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. John, the Gospel of John, and I'm, I'm wrapping, I'm done here. John Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the page of the Bible that we got the name of this church off of. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Look how John opens up the gospel. Do you think John knew Jesus pretty well? He had a revelation that Jesus loved him. In the beginning was the Word. Logos. The all-inclusive, complete mind and will and reason and purpose of God. Jesus. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. Jesus Christ. He's eternal. God measures, though, His counsel, His logos, which is too vast for us to deal with at any given time. But He takes it and He gives us small portions at a time. He measures it out, His logos, in portions as we need and as we are able to receive it. In Rama, in a now word, a spoken word, a spiritual piece of bread for today. You see? For this moment. That's why it's imperative. I mean, you can you can know this whole Bible, and it's good to know the whole Bible because the Holy Spirit will remind us of everything that Jesus has said. And with that, so I'm not against studying the Bible. Study it as much as you can. Get it inside of you because then you know you'll be so full of the truth that you can't stand the lie. Amen. You'll be able to discern when the devil is lying to you because it's bouncing off of this in your heart. You see? You're running everything through the filter of God's Word. But then... You need to know what to do today. You need to know how to start your day. Before your feet hit the ground of your bed, you should say, Good morning, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A thankful heart is a healthy heart. And seek Him about His direction and guidance and instructions for that day. And then He will do that for you. He will begin to give you the rhema, which is just... You see, you can read this Bible for hours on end. I read it for three and a half years straight. 16 hours a day. 18 hours a day. I was either in this Word, 
receiving some sort of instruction or I was in church. Sometimes longer, maybe 20 hours a day. I downloaded, God downloaded His Word into me. And I'm glad because now, that's how, when He does speak of rhema, a now word, see, because you could read this, if you're just reading it, I've got to read my 10 chapters a day, you know, I got to, I'm going to be a day behind in my annual reading of the Bible if I don't, oh Lord, and He's going, oh, me too. <laughs> but see, and it can never, it can never be for now. It can never be a rhema. It might be, but then another time you'll just open up your Bible and ah, and it just jumps off the page. There's your rhema. There's your now word. There's your instruction. It's fitting. It's appropriate for this season, for this time, for this question, this great deliberation, this hardship, this. Need for some understanding or wisdom or guidance or strength or encouragement that you've had, he says, here it is. And you, you just, and I used to do that when I was a baby in the faith and I would just get on the phone or I'd go run outside, hey, God, just, and they'd be like, okay. They're not as excited about it. Why? Because it's not a word for them right now. It was for you. But you knew it was God talking to you and you were right. Hold on to that. Write it down. And then look back on his track record of faithfulness and devotion and the little things he's so involved with even down to the numbering the hairs on your head. (laughs) As we begin to hear God's voice, it becomes that fresh daily bread that nourishes us spiritually. And we begin to receive daily direction, daily strength for our walk with God. And it just doesn't just come from reading the Bible for hours on end. Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to do that. But I'm just trying to get you to understand the difference in the complete revelation of God, which is His Logos, which is too lofty for us at any given moment. But for our daily lives, us little sheep who aren't meant to carry this whole pack on our back and the responsibility and the care of all that, He has a word He has your portion of bread for every day if you would receive it from Him. It just pops out at you. But this hearing that we're talking about now, it has to be cultivated. It's it's you hearing with your heart. That's how you hear God. Then faith comes by that hearing. When you begin to hear God and you begin to get those ramas and you begin to say... You know, how many of you can, you may hear from God every day now, so it's not unusual to you to say, well, let me see what God says, or God told me this, or God told me that. But I bet every one of you can remember a time, if you don't still feel that way, that when people say that, you go, ugh. You think they're either some kind of religious hypocrite or nut, or you just, then then you go, actually, everybody kind of feels like that at one time, and then you go to a phase when you're seeking God, where you're like, wow, this person is really in a relationship with God. Not that there aren't religious hypocrites out there that say I, uh, what God said, God said, God said, and they're full of it. But you can know, because you have the mind of Christ inside of you, you have an unction from the Holy One, you you have a knowing, and just a little bit of time, and, and you can't, you know, another's voice we will not follow. Not for long, anyway. And so anyway... Faith comes by hearing, the rhema, the quickened word, the alive word, the now word of Christ. Amen? Hebrews 11.6 Faith, without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So, My recommendation is 
Just like it says in Jeremiah 29, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. This is right after he talks about, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. And then he says, you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. So I recommend that we all do that because it's worth it. And when we, he wants to be found by you. Don't think he's going to just, well, I tried, you know, this one found him, but I didn't. It's not an Easter egg hunt where there's only so many eggs out there. <laughs> he's for each one of you. He loves you. He wants he wants to be in that relationship. But, you know, he pursued you for so long. Didn't it just make sense that he'd, he'd like to be courted a little bit too? And then watch you. But you can't outgive him. He'll turn right, right back around and chase you some more. And it just, it just gets more and more fun the more you grow in it. And that hearing, it comes. You hear with your heart. And then you'll know it's God. Next time... We'll go further into the heart of the matter. Amen? Amen. And what Jesus had to say about these things. Because there's more to this. You receive from him today? Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the ability and the desire to hear your voice. To hear the rhema. To know the logos. Put it all in us, Lord, so we know your word. And we have it. But... Thank you for the rhema, the now word, the spoken word from you, the instruction and guidance that you give us on a daily basis. You're our daily bread, Jesus. You are the logos of God. And from you, we receive the portion, our portion every day, every time we need it. You're there. And we just help. thank you for helping us to cultivate a hearing heart so that we can always know it's you, which will give us encouragement and confidence and strength to face whatever we come against in this life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.